Welcome to Malcolm Reed's How to Barbecue Right, a podcast where we talk about barbecue, share recipes, and discuss all things delicious. And now, here's your host, Malcolm and Rochelle Reed. Hey, welcome back to the How to Barbecue Right podcast. This is episode number seven, and I am your host, Malcolm Reed. I'm joined by my lovely wife, Rochelle. Rochelle, how you feeling today? I'm feeling great, Mount. Good Beautiful deal. day. Hey, we got some sunshine finally, temperatures in the 80 degrees. Um, it's almost pool weather. <laughs> it is pool weather, if you ask <laughs> my opinion. It. So, I uh, thought we'd jump right in and talk about our recipe this week. Hey, all right. You know, this week, um, we tried something new and had a barbecue, right? I briefly said something about it in the last podcast, but I actually had somebody come by the house here, come by the How to Barbecue Right studio and show us one of their recipes. And uh, uh, my buddy Mark Lambert from Sweet Swan of Mine actually came by and he brought one of his red box cookers and he wanted to show me a recipe that he does at home all the time. And he's, you know, he's a barbecue guy like me. He does barbecue all the time, comps, and um, that's his full-time job. But he gets tired of barbecue a lot of times. I don't know. We don't ever get tired of barbecue yeah. when we cook it all the time. I think it's in our blood. But, uh, you know, Mark and his family, they've been doing it a little bit longer than we have. And so I guess they get burnt out on it. But they request his chicken recipe. And Mark does kind of a different take on a smoked chicken. Um, he calls it his herb smoked chicken. And instead of using wood for smoke, Mark uses fresh herbs. He builds a nest on, on the actual cooking grate. It's got rosemary in it. It's got thyme in it. It's got sage in it. He added some chives. And Mark took that nest and just kind of built it all around um, on the cooking grate. So kind it's kind of random. It's Put a, it out there. Yeah, yeah, it's a foundation for the bird. And instead of cooking the chicken whole, he removed the backbone, pressed it down, you know, spatchcocked it, you know, busted that wishbone to where it lay flat. And then he seasoned the outside. Oh, he dried the skin really, really well first. See, the drying the skin is the important part. Yeah. Um, and that's what he said gets the skin crispy. And, you know, you, you want to you get crispy chicken skin. That's something that people strive for when they're doing chicken on a smoker. They want that skin where it's edible. It's not rubbery. And drying it like Mark did with a paper towel is the best way. Yeah. Then he needed some oil on it. And you could use all kinds of stuff for the. You could use butter. You could use canola. But he used olive oil cooking spray. It was real simple, and then he seasoned it just with my AP rub. He just wanted salt, pepper, and garlic on it, just yeah. flavors that you, you can go. use pretty much any type of seasoning yeah. in there, a basic salt, kind of a saltier seasoning. Yeah, I mean, he was just getting savory. away from the barbecue yeah. flavors. He just wanted a good, good savory flavor. Yeah. And so he laid the chicken right on that bird's nest, you know, on the cooking grate, and he fired his red box up. I think he would 25 coals is all he put in there because he was running it dry. The dry heat's really what makes and that skin get the water crispy. Pan. Yeah, take it, not cooking over water was a big thing. Um, water and chicken skin don't get along. That moist <laughs> environment never lets it really dry out. And so he wanted to cook above the coals. It's still indirect heat because he's set, what, 17 inches he said you needed a minimum of for it to work. And instead of putting wood on the fire, he threw some of those extra herbs right on there. And that's where the smoke element came from. And, man, it smelled fantastic. I mean, it was really incredible. I love that idea of smoking with the fresh herbs. Um, as the, the heat was coming up and cooking that chicken, all the juices were rendering out through that uh, nest of herbs. And they were also lending flavor to the meat as it was sitting there cooking on it. Took about an hour. It was a fast cook. And um, he drizzles it with white barbecue sauce. So he actually um, asked me to make up a batch that morning. So I whipped up some before he got there. And that's what, once he cut the chicken up after a short rest, he just drizzled that white sauce over the top of it. And then he took some of those fr those herbs that was underneath the chicken and how had all that chicken goodness cooked into it, and finally chopped those. And he saved a little bit of fresh chives just for some green color pop, and that was the garnish. And man, that chicken didn't stand a chance, did it? <laughs> no, we ain't but, cut all chicken. Uh, Jamie was here yeah. with us, and I think the four of us devoured that chicken. I mean, there wasn't a piece <laughs> left. I mean, many the little dog was sitting there just whining, wanting a piece, but. But uh, it was incredibly it was very good. good. It was very juicy. It had a lot of flavor because, I mean, it was incredibly simple. It was just yeah a light coat of AP seasoning and it cooked over those herbs, but it had a lot of really good flavor. It did. And I was, you know, really impressed by the way those herbs lent flavor to the meat because you could taste it in every bite. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't overpowering at all. It went with it. But it was textbooks, you know, smoked chicken. Skin was perfect. It was juicy all the way inside. 
And what he he took it off at like 163 in the breast. Yeah. I think it took it was about an hour and 15 minutes total, and rested 10 minutes. Yeah, and that was a really big bird we used too. Yeah, that was a bigger one. I think it was closer to five pounds. I mean, normally Mark said he tries to get them three and a half, no more than four, just a perfect little size to cook. And you know, that's enough for a meal for for a family of four. It's perfect. I yeah. mean, there's plenty of chicken there. And that'd be a great dinner and doesn't take that long to do it. I, I mean, know, you could it's even, a great summertime recipe to make. You could even prep it the night before and just have the skin sitting there drying in the refrigerator and the skin would get even crispier yeah. like that. But, um, you know, and you could do that recipe on any smoker. You don't have to just, the red box was great for it. But as long as you got that dry heat and you got separation from your coals to the cooking grate where that chicken's lying on that nest of herbs, it would work perfect. So, so you said 17 inches is a minimum. I mean, how far could you go? I mean, you know, like my drum is well, 24, 26 yeah. inches, something like that. That'd be perfect too. Um, that, I'm going to actually, on the drum. <laughs> I'm going to try, I'm going to, I'm going to duplicate this recipe on the drum one night for you for yeah. dinner because I know that drum's going to give it some flavor. You throw the herbs down on the coals the same way. I might even add a little wood for some smoke, yeah. something light, not like, you know, not like hickory, probably like a piece of apple or, or cherry, something real light wood would be really great on it. But that was our recipe this week. And, um, man, y'all got to try that one because that, that's a winner. How do you like the recipes where you bring in someone else? You know, we've never done that before. That was the first time, and I loved it. Actually, yeah. I like, you know, I mean, I have a good time being the one that's doing the cooking. But, man, being on the other side and being able to ask questions, I feel like I'm learning something, too, yeah. there. And so... That's going to be something I want to do more of. I've got, you know, i got a ton of buddies that love to cook, so I'm going to try to get them to, to come over and, and give me some of their secrets or show me some of their favorite recipes that they cook at home besides, you know, ribs and brisket and chicken or whatever, yeah. like the standard stuff. I want, to, I want to see something unique that I can, you know, that I can learn. That's what, that's what you know, How to Barbecue Right is all about. It's about learning. Yeah. So I, I'd love that idea. I think a, that was a great uh New recipe, new new way to do a video. Yeah, it's something good we can add this summer when people are traveling a lot and coming yeah. around. We can grab them and you know, with Memphis and May coming up next week, I, I've kind of talked to Shane Draper from Grilla Grills into coming by. He's coming to there. He's got a big team assembling to cook hog, and um, I've, I've always wanted to do something with Shane. We've known him a long time back back. He was one of the you know had a podcast going years ago. Yeah. And I actually went on there, and I've never really got a chance to cook with him much. I think we did in, in Murfreesboro one year. He, uh, I did a steak over on his on his con one time, but I want him to come show me one of his Grilla Grill recipes. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can line that up, and we can find time during busy Memphis and May week to mm-hmm. do that. But uh, that may be coming up here in the next few weeks. Hopefully, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that here <laughs> on the podcast how that goes. I wish Shane could come on and do the podcast. That'd be a good guest on it too. We might get swing both in one day. We'll see. What um, else we got going on, Shell? Well, this week we asked people to submit some questions and kind of just compiled a list of common barbecue questions. So I've kind of went through it and put together a solid list here. Some of them weren't that great of questions. <laughs> Most of them were. They're pretty good questions. So um, I compiled a list and I thought I'd just go down this list and ask you and you can answer them. Sound All good? right. That sounds good to me. I mean, I know we, we answer a ton of questions on our our website and our YouTube channel all the time. And it's hard to get to all of them. We try our best to get to all of them. Yeah. And I mean, you it's have, almost impossible to answer all the YouTube questions. Do you answer a lot of them too? I mean, yeah. you take the time Anything just like I do. I can't answer. Yeah. yeah. If, if you, you know, you, you deflect it my way. If, if you don't know the answer, <laughs> yeah. well, you've been around long enough. You ought to know a bunch of them, but yeah, let's start. Let's, what, what, what's the first question that. When a lot of people ask, what's our story? I don't know really how to answer that. Well, one. like how we, how we met and got started. I guess. Well, well, I mean, the you, summarized version. Well, I started out in competition barbecue a long time ago. I guess it was, you know, 2000, we officially say it was like our first Killer Hogs year. We were just a backyard team back then. This was before I knew you. Yeah. I met you. We only did a few a year. Yeah, we only did the, we only did the fun ones that we were partying at. That's, yeah. that's what it was. And we weren't real serious about cooking. It was more about having a good time. And, and we kind of grew out of that as we got older. But I met you in 2004. I remember. Two thousand three. Uh, it might have been late two thousand three. Two thousand three. We started dating in 04, Okay. I guess it was, and you were in the kind of um, internet marketing field. And man, I guess your witchy ways. You looked at me one night the wrong way out, and we were out <laughs> having a good time. And man, I was, I was hooked. You reeled me <laughs> on in, right? 
But so we started dating, and um, we had Spring Fest coming up that year, and I think I put you in charge of the was the decorating the committee. decorating committee. Yeah, <laughs> you headed up the decorating committee. I forgot about that. <laughs> but um, we just hit it off, and then I think you know we started. You th- you come up with the idea that we needed a website at the time because nobody really had a barbecue website, and all we used and it I for. And I knew how to do a basic website, so yeah. I just thought, oh, this will be great. And we put our party pictures up there. That's all it was, was yeah. pictures of us with that, whatever trophies we won, I think. It's I think usually ancillary trophies, like baked beans. Baked beans. And man, we had the ancillary chicken and, and seafood and gumbo, and I think you even won a Portageon <laughs> trophy. Portageon decoration. The decorating committee pulled in a first-place decorating trophy, huh? There was one contest that had a Porter John decoration category. We entered and we won first place. We won and just went ahead and retired. From that, that. that was the Players <laughs> Club. We turned our we turned our Porter John into the Players Club. I'm talking about <laughs> red carpet, fake money laid out. We had the red stanchion ropes. It was all decorated up. Disco ball inside it. And you were. You were going in we style some, if you wouldn't yeah. have to. <laughs> we had some leopard fabric wrapped, draped around it. Classic. Classic <laughs> toilet. But, but you know, that's that's how we met and, and got into the barbecue business. And this was about during this time during MySpace, before any other social media. I guess that was the first one that we played with. And um, Back then it wasn't a business. We didn't know. We didn't have any rubs. We didn't have any sauces. We were just, we had a website and put our party pictures up there. Yep. And then you had the idea to start a newsletter. And the newsletter was just to to give people a little insight into what we were doing, and I didn't think anybody was going to subscribe to it, and um, well, we didn't have a name. And I said, "Well, what if we just call it How to Barbecue Right?" And before lack of any better, you know, names to call, I don't know. I mean, there's no wrong way to barbecue; it's all right, right? So I thought that was good, and then we went with that. And well, was- I would listen to you talk on the phone to your buddies and tell them how to cook something. And I was like, man, that, he's so good at that. You know, he needs to tell other people how to cook what he knows how to cook, you know. And you, you were still learning. and But I was like, I'm man. still learning. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, man, he's so good at explaining how to cook stuff. And so I thought. That's where How to Barbecue yeah. Right was born. And so we started that newsletter. And we started getting subscribers. And, you know, I think I had five or six people the first <laughs> one. And then it turned into 20. And now it's 100,000. <laughs> but, but it grew. It grew. And we just kind of. Slowly, we didn't try to rush into anything. We didn't have anything to sell, no products. We were still making rubs and sauces. And then um, eventually that that turned into a business because I got tired of making them all the time for contests. And, I, you know, Mark Lambert, who actually, you know, the recipe came from, he was getting his rubs and sauce made. And he said, man, why don't you, you know, check, check out. out my co-packer, see if it's for you. And the rest is history on that. We've got all our products now. Um YouTube came along and we started making videos. We just fell backwards into YouTube. We had no intentions of ever doing yeah. YouTube videos. I didn't know anything about YouTube. I mean, all I thought it was was just something to look up music videos or something. I read an article or, or someone told me because I was still in that internet, market, internet marketing field, and um, someone was like, "Videos the next big thing. You got to start doing videos." Turns so. out, huh? <laughs> who who would have knew? And so we did. But our first videos were just on a flip camera. This was before mm-hmm. camera phones, and one of our sponsors wanted some uh, video to use for their production, you know, on their website. Yeah. And they sent us a flip video camera, and you can go back and still see some of those early Please ones. Please don't go back and They're raw. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, it was just us trimming meat or yeah, hanging yeah, out no, or maybe really grilling hot dogs at Memphis and May. It was some crazy stuff. I mean, I guess it was, people liked it. Yeah. And then we kind of turned well, that into, it. yeah, we liked it. So we turned it into doing recipes, and that's how... We're already doing a newsletter with some recipes into them, and then it just turned into what it is today. And then we had maybe one day we'll get good at it. No video career, <laughs> I mean, no video experience at yeah. all. I've never done anything really on camera, but I would say um, everything that we do now, we've learned just by figuring it out. Hey, I'm, I'm a believer. <laughs> jump in feet first. You yeah, know, you got to figure it the out. The worst thing, and I tell people this all the time, the worst thing you do is not do it. <laughs> I mean, who knows where it's going to go as long as you stick with it. And so that's our history. That's that's where we are today. Now we're doing a podcast, and it's been a lot of fun. I'll say that it's interesting. It's no, there's never a dull moment. Yeah. So what's the next question, Shell? Sorry, I got distracted thinking about that. One went a little long. <laughs> it's a long history. Well, uh, okay, let's jump right into the barbecue stuff. Enough and, about us. Okay. What do you? Ch- how do you choose what smoker or grill you're going to use for a video? Well, 
I have, yes, my name is Malcolm Reed and I have a problem. <laughs> a bad problem. <laughs> I have way too many smokers. I'll be the first to say I it, but I love have... every one of them, Shell. <laughs> I, think I really you have do. have like 18 or 19 at this point. I, and you know, I mean, that is counting everything from the, the Weber to the Hawker. Now, my reasoning for having all these smokers is that I have a, a lot of these people that, you know, y'all out there watch my videos and you don't necessarily have the same cookers or the same smokers I do. So I want to learn to cook on all of them. And as far as how I choose which recipe I'm going to do, I just try to rotate them out. But I, you is know, there some cookers that you choose? There's no really, I don't, I don't choose them for a specific reason. I mean, if I'm smoking big meats, of course, I'm going to use my old hickory. Because it, it has the capacity. Um, you know, the, I love using my drum. I use, love using the egg or the calm, the pellet grills. I mean, I used to do a ton of pellet grill videos. And I feel like I did a lot of them. So I wanted to kind of spread out and do some more on some different stuff. But I've got some different pellet grills now, too. I just yeah. got a new one last week. I, I slipped that one in on you, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I thought at the beginning of the season we said no more grills. And then all of a sudden, I think you've acquired at least two more. Because you just got that And the pellet grill junior. Yeah. yeah. I've gotten three this year. Three. Three new ones. Yeah. But I got one, and I got one on order. The Jambo is coming. Yeah, we're getting a stick burner. Finally doing a stick burner. And, you know, and there's probably going to be a lot of stick burner videos coming up because I don't have any. And I hadn't really cooked on a stick burner a whole lot. And I know people will love it. So I said, you know, I don't know how long Jamie's going to be making these pits. So I ordered one. And it's like a nine-month wait. So I won't have it till October. So it'll probably be... Next year, before I get it dialed in and you know really know how to yeah. cook on it, and then I want and hey, I'm gonna we're gonna do some videos on learning how to run it because it's gonna be new to me too. I'm probably going to get somebody to come in and go take a class or get somebody to come in and show me how they run a jambo. Oh because yeah, I don't know anything about them. I just know they're good pits and people win with them. So hey, yeah, oh yeah, all the top it. guys are you using might, jambos. You might see Killer Hogs pulling a jambo <laughs> at a contest near you. But no, I mean, as far as selecting a cooker, I, I try to space them out. Um, you know, I, I try to rotate where I'm cooking on different stuff so people can see it. And all of my recipes work on any type pit. I try to do them that way. To it's where all about maintaining. As long as you can know how to run your fire and know how to, you know, check your internal temperatures and control the airflow, that's what it's all about on any pit. Okay. Next question. What do you do to prevent cross-contamination? I thought this was a good one that applied to you because you're kind of big on that. That's an important one. And, you know, I'm all food safety is utmost importance. The last thing I want to do is get somebody sick. So, you know, I know everybody sees me using the black nitro gloves. I try to use the gloves whenever I'm handling uh, raw meat. Um, I also always have even cooked meat. You always use like Lysol wipes around to clean the cutting boards. If you'll notice, I never put anything raw on my wooden booze board that we use to show on, or or, you know, the finished product goes on. If I'm on top of it, it's either in a platter or on another cutting board, Uh, something to keep it from getting contaminated. Uh, We wipe down the counters. We, you know, we're constantly washing our hands. We're constantly, you know. I'll keep one clean hand, one dry hand that when I'm touching stuff, I don't want to contaminate my, you know, spice bottles, my, you know, everything I'm using that I'm touching. And that's real big. A lot of that comes by just, you know, common sense. (laughs) I mean, you know, if you think about it, you know, you you want to wash your hands, you want to keep raw meat from touching other stuff. And, you know, that's just, that's important stuff. And keep raw meat off wooden cutting boards because the yeah. bacteria can get down in the, in board, the slices. Yeah. And you can't throw those in the dishwasher. No, and you can also use different cutting boards. I mean, they color code a lot of those plastic boards, and that's what we use in the kitchen. I mean, you know, we've got you know a white board, a black board, a blue board, a red board. And usually I try to do them for different stuff. I mean, you know, vegetables and stuff like that I'm not really that worried about. But when I'm doing chicken or anything like that, it's going on its own kind of board. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. that's it. Just simple common sense is the best yeah. answer. <laughs> Use gloves and wash yeah. your hands. Um, and disinfect. How, and disinfect, yeah. How do you choose what type of wood to use? And what? how do you choose when you combine the woods? How do you pick those flavor combinations? A lot of it's personal taste. What flavors you like. Here and where we live, we grew up with hickory. So we use a lot of hickory and I like pecan personally. It's not, you know, it's not as, as harsh as hickory. So you could use a little more of it, but I also like a fruit wood. I like layering those flavors of smoke. And so we use a lot of cherry. That's my personal, you know, fruit wood to go to, but apples, another great one. Uh, peach is a good one. And if I'm cooking contest, I choose the wood by the region I'm cooking in. If I'm going over to Georgia, Hey, I'm going to, you better believe I'm going to be bringing some peach wood and burning that. If I'm, Going up into Illinois, that area, I'm 
switching over to apple instead of cherry. You just if got I, a package of post oak. And if I'm over, if I'm over in Texas, I'm going to use you know the, the wood flavors they're used to. Yeah. They like that post oak. They like pecan. All those you know all the flavors work, but when it comes down to cooking at home, it's about what you like. What about beef? Where's what's your go to woods for beef? Pecan. Pecan. Yeah. What about chicken? Um, a lighter wood. I don't like a heavy wood. I mean, pecan's good on chicken, but I like, um, you know, apples great on chicken. So you have to kind of think about the protein too. Smaller cuts don't need as heavy a smoke. Uh, thicker cuts that are going to smoke a lot longer, you can get by with a little more smoke flavor. Or your dense cuts, like your shoulders or your butts or your brisket, they can take more smoke. If you're doing fish or something like that, you want something mild. So, um, that it's, it's a lot of personal flavor, but it's knowing which proteins pair with which woods too. So you don't over smoke it. I don't want to be tasting smoke two days later. Yeah. You know, so, sometimes you do that. Sometimes people do that. They over smoke it or they use harsh woods or, or stuff. Or unseasoned woods. Yeah, or unseasoned wood. I like a good dry wood that's going to, you know, give off some smoke, doesn't have a lot of moisture content to it. Yeah, nothing that's been soaked in water. No, no, never smoke, never soak wood in water. I mean, the only time I've ever seen that. In the applications, if it's wood chips and you're just trying to keep them from burning up, you want to add a little moisture to them to slow them down. That's the only time. But as far as chunks in water, you're defeating your purpose. And what about combining the wood? Um, is yeah. there a wrong combination or a bad combination, or is it just? No, I mean, I don't think there's creative? a bad. I think it's personal taste. I mean, I don't. You know, I mean, I don't see the point in you know mixing all the fruit woods together because you're you know you're <laughs> yeah. just trying to go for a milder, you know, sweeter smoke with your fruit wood. You're not going to gain anything from, say, using cherry, apple, and peach for once. You know, you want to use a hardwood and then a fruit wood or something. Just pair them like that. Well, let's move on to the next question. That was a good answer for the wood. One question that we get a lot is, why is my brisket dry? Why? <laughs> I wrapped it. it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you know, a lot of that brisket has, a lot, a lot of dry brisket has to come with either overcooked it. Or it could be the quality of the brisket itself. I mean, when you're going and you're getting a supermarket brisket, the room for error is real small. I mean, you know, you're, cause it, it just doesn't have the fat content. Fat is where your moisture is. And lesser, you know, brisket's graded out. And I think we had a question about grades. Yeah, that's actually the next question. But, uh, but it, this kind of covers, it can this kind of covers together. that. Um, you know, beef's graded by, you know, select, choice, prime, and you see the Wagyu. But um, it's all about the fat content in it, and that's where your moisture is coming from in the meat. Um, fattier, fattier cuts like your primes or your your wagus give you more room for error because they have so much more internal fat. There's less likelihood of drying them out. Now you can overcome some of that by injecting them and putting moisture back in it, but a lot of times that'll slow your cook time down because you got so much more moisture in there that you have to cook out. You have to take that into account. But if you're getting if you're getting dry brisket, chances are that you're not hitting the final temperature just right. Um, you know, of course it needs to rest when it gets done, but you've gotta you gotta get in the habit when you're cooking brisket to start checking it once it gets up to that, that 195, 198 range, it's gonna be close to being done. And once it starts feeling right and it's probing soft. You want to get it off because if you continue cooking it, you're getting rid of all the moisture. And it's going to get to a point to where it has no moisture in it. I mean, it's all let go. And that's when the temps actually start going down. And I've seen it happen. It happened to us because we had a faulty probe last weekend. I mean, we had a brisket. It was a Wagyu brisket. It got up to like 204. And then we were trying to get it to like 206 because it wasn't feeling just right. Well, it went down to 202, 201. I said, man, we've, you know, we've done cooked all the moisture out now. And it was a little dry. I mean, it was drier than our normal brisket. I mean, and it showed. We didn't, you know, I think we were 16th in brisket there. But but that's what it is. It's about, you know, really knowing how to finish it and how to hold it and what not cooking brisket, all the moisture out of what it. What if your brisket is, like you said, a 202, 204, and it's just not feeling like you're probing butter? Do you, do you keep cooking I keep, it? I keep going. I mean, especially if it's eating brisket at home because you can, you can always make up some beef broth. And yeah. put it back in it and run it, you know, it. run it, you know, run it back through that. That's going to keep it moist and have some moisture in it. Sometimes you're just not going to overcome it, especially if it's a cheap, you know, just a lesser cut of brisket. That just is what it is. Yeah. Going right into it, we have this question a lot, especially when we cook the suckling pigs. They wanted to know about how to get crispy pork skin. Crispy pork, I, you know, I see people talking about it. It's kind of a misconception, I guess. It kind of is when you're talking about smoking. I mean, that style of cooking really doesn't lend to what we're doing with smokers. Now, our skin turns out somewhat crispy, 
but it's not like that what I call like Asian style crispy pork skin to where where you see it bubble up like crackling and I mean you can you have to do that to get pork skin to do that it has to be really dry and you have to be able to put heat right on it to get it to fry to crackle and pop like that um the way I've seen it done is is cook it over direct heat and you have to salt the skin to get it that dry and so what people will do is they'll they'll uh, cook it on a rotisserie that's a great way to do it and that way you can keep the skin dry you can put you know you can put salt on it at first to pull out all the moisture you can you're trying to pull out every bit of it you got to get the internal cooked so you, you know you're gonna have to put some heat on it to cook the internal and slow it down but then at the end you can cook it over real high heat and as it's rolling as it's rotating it's going to crackle that skin now another thing i've seen people do is is pour hot oil over it but of course you can't do that over hot coals or you're going to kill yourself <laughs> i mean you're going to start acting a fire anyway but the oil what does it so what I've also seen, like some of the people doing pork belly, they'll smoke it on a smoker to get it done. Then they'll kind of wrap it up all around except for what's exposed with the skin and foil. Kind of put it in a casserole dish or some kind of pan or something like that. Then they'll have hot oil that they ladle over. Super dangerous. I mean, don't, I mean anytime you've got oil hot enough to crackle that skin, you, you need to be careful. The best way is just dehydrate the skin and cook it like pork rinds. Yeah. If you want crispy pork rinds, get you a bag, you know, get you a bag of pork rinds. When but, we cooked those suckling pigs, those skin was dry. You sprayed it with oil the whole entire, entire cook. But when they came off, that skin was so tough. Yeah, I mean, I mean it gets tough. It gets more like leather. It's not really. Yeah, it's, it's it not to edible. the stage. It's not to the stage of crackling, like you know the people are thinking about. And then we're talking. It's really super dehydrated, almost frying to get it like that. Is I mean, how it's yeah, like it. it's very impractical to get crispy pork skin on a smoker on a smoker yeah you need a broiler some type of broiler to get it close to to make it do that and that's why the rotisserie works because it's rotating closer to the fire um you know if you have one of those salamanders like you know some of those things we saw at the national barbecue conference it's like a beefer it's a it's a propane i call it propane propane salamander it's pretty much what it is but the heating element's right up top and you can put your food right close to it and that'll crackle it so that's that's what I would do if I was trying to do it. I mean, I don't get caught up on that. I'm gonna eat pork rinds. So I won't, I won't yeah, you're pick, not gonna you know? get it as good as a pork rind. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to. You, it's possible, but it ain't easy. Yeah. So, what do you look for in charcoal? Clean burning coal. I mean, I like. What's a clean burning coal? It just doesn't have a lot of fillers to it. I mean, you know, you get some charcoal. Just say the blue bag, for instance. You can put a piece of that down on the ground and step on it with your foot. And it just crushes and goes to powder. It's it's you know it's, it's got not a lot of it's got a lot of it's got a lot of starch. That's starch. what the starch is what holds it a lot of it together. But it has other stuff in it too. I like a good pure hardwood charcoal. I mean, we use Royal Oak forever. Now I'm using B and B. This really made good charcoal. And I've noticed a big difference when firing up. It doesn't smoke. You go fire up some some blue bag or some Royal Oak or something like that. Fire a chimney of it up. Man, it smokes like a freight train. You fire up a chimney of this B and B, and it doesn't produce that kind of smoke. It's just clean. Um, if you're seeing the smoke, all that is is all the impurities in the charcoal burn off. So you know it has other stuff in it, and that's where that thick smoke comes from. I want one that's going to be clean, pure, doesn't have a well, lot of ash. How do you know ash. that you're getting a clean burning charcoal? You spend a little more money on it. And look <laughs> I mean, for one that's quality. No, I mean, I mean, I don't bag? know what they care what they put on the bag. I know from experience of trying different stuff. You want to use a good, good quality product. And some, you know, there's some companies out there that are better than others when it comes to coal. But a lot of times it's just price. I mean, heck, if I'm cooking at home and I don't want to spend a lot on charcoal and I had to buy some, of course I'm going to buy some blue bag when it's on sale for four or five bucks a bag. You know, I mean, you got to, but if I'm cooking contests, I'm going to use the best I can. That's where I'm I'm burning my B&B. I mean, I'm lucky enough to get to burn B&B at home too. So. Okay, what's the worst stall you've ever experienced? And when we talk about a stall, when your meat hits, what, 165, your big meats. Yeah, and you know what it is, that's that point to where it's trying to get that moisture up internally in the meat high enough to push it out. And that's what creates that stall. The worst one that I can think of that I've ever seen is when we were cooking whole hogs and we were in South Dakota at altitude. And it totally you changes. What altitude we were at? It was over nine thousand square feet yeah, up there up in the Black Hills. And we were we were at a buddy's uh, ranch up there, and we were cooking whole hogs for a group. And we had um, a hundred and fifty pound hog that normally would cook in sixteen to eighteen hours. We were like twenty six hours, 
and all of it was stall. We wrapped it. He had the color, you know, at the normal six hour mark. The rest of that time was wrapped in stall and it hung up for, I mean, over 12 hours. It was a long time. I mean, we were like, wow. Did y'all keep never... pushing? Did you try to well, increase we, the temp? We had to, that's the only thing you can do is increase the temp to try to power over. And eventually it does. It breaks through and it skyrockets on up there. But if you're, if you're cooking at altitude, it's, it's, you know, it, you're going to increase time on your stall time on that moisture evaporation time, cooking it out. That's what it does. So, so what we learned was we don't, you know, um, it doesn't take as much injection and, Fluid, you know, liquid back in the wrap or in the meat because you're wanting to cook out what's in there first. And when you add more to it, it's adding more time. So if you know, you got to take that into account if you're cooking at altitude. Does cooking at altitude increase times on um, things like chicken? Things that typically it don't increases have a on stall. everything. I mean, it look at the bo- cake mix box. <laughs> they have altitude directions on there for a reason. It just yeah. takes longer when you know when you're at altitude. Well, here's a question that's interesting. Why do you see a sudden surge of pellet grills over your traditional offsets and stick burners? Because they're easy. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the pellet market is a great market for people that are getting into barbecue that wouldn't mm-hmm. buy a smoker, that don't want to, you know, that may not know, may not be educated, or may, may not want to mess with the live fire. It is easy to go get a bag of pellets, put it in a cooker, and be able to set a temp just like your oven inside and go to smoking on it. And it produces good barbecue. I mean, you get smoke flavor from it. It's not as intense. It's not as much smoke as, say, a stick burner or a drum or something like that. But it's definitely good barbecue. And there's people winning with them in contests all the time. Um, you know, they're also versatile. I think you can get a pellet grill. Not only can you smoke at low temps, you can bake on it. You can, hot, you can cook hot and fast. You can take the deflector plate out on a lot of them and grill on it. So it's kind of your all-in-one type cooker. And also, I think they, they're a little more friendly when it comes to smaller like spaces. Say if yeah. you're in an apartment or something like that, you could have a pellet smoker where they're not going to let you build a chimney fire and have a grill out there on your balcony. There's a place for them. And I, and, I mean, they're real convenient. If I'm cooking a slab of ribs for whatever reason, I'm going to fire up one of the pellets smokers more than likely unless you tell me i've got to use the old hickory but just because it's easier yeah because I mean, it's easier comfortable it's just with so it. much easier it's more predictable i can check the pellets without having to mess with the fire you know yeah i can see that definitely and so and I, I, like, I, I love my pellet smokers i think there's definitely a good place for them i'm a pro pellet guy i mean there's some uh, a lot of good pellet girls out there now and they are they're you're seeing them all the time. They're spending a lot of money on marketing. On you know, there's a lot of people cooking with them. Well, it also it allows people to get into smoking that might have been intimidated. Oh, they're eventually going to go. They're going to want more flavor, and they're going to go to a yeah, more traditional like barbecue it, pit. Yeah. But you know, that's just that's just how it is. It's a great way to get into smoking. Heck yeah, yeah. I love. I mean, it makes us, it makes what we, we do grow and you know that's gets more gets more people asking questions and wanting to learn about barbecue. What do you do with all your trimmings? I try to save them and vacuum seal them and use them for making sausage. You know, when I'm not cooking uh, in the off season, we, we deer hunt. And so I use a lot of it to process to make uh, deer burger, deer sausage. Um, I'm wanting to get in, into more sausage making, but, um, you know, my mom makes some of the best breakfast sausage you've ever had. I'm talking better than Tennessee yeah, Pride or Jimmy good. Dean. <laughs> and we eat it all the time. And she uses a lot of our pork trimmings for that. The beef trimmings, man, we use them to make regular burger. Brisket man. burgers are Yeah, if you're throwing awesome. those brisket trimmings away, you're crazy. Chicken Even our ribeye really trimmings, sell. when we do ribeye practice, I save all those. You know, I call it the tail on a ribeye. Yeah. I grind those up in burgers, too. I mean, you get you some bacon ends and pieces, and you get you some uh, burger meat or some chuck roast and mix in some of that brisket fat with it, you've got some of the best burger that you've ever grilled. It's very good. We don't really save chicken trimmings no, too much. No, no. <laughs> throw those in somebody else's trash can. <laughs> yeah. You didn't hear me say it. I don't do, I, of course, I don't do that. But if you want, <laughs> in the summer, if you want to get your garbage can smelling right, you want the buzzard circling, go ahead and put all those chicken trimmings in your trash can and leave them for a week. That's a, a, another one I of those tr- pro tips. I, yeah, pro tip. <laughs> Trim before garbage pickup. <laughs> or take There's those, nothing quite like coming of, back from a contest and, and pulling up in your driveway. You've been gone for three days. <laughs> I remember one time, and I know you remember this, I forgot that we were trimming at the last minute. It was one of those rush deals, and I forgot to take the trash can in the, in the kitchen out 
all those chicken trimmings and whatever was in there. And we went to a contest and it was just July. We came back home and we opened the front door. It hit you. And I was like, oh my God, what died in our house? And it was, you'll only do it once. <laughs> it was nasty. We had to Lysol everything. So what's next? What's another one? That's, those are some good questions. I feel like we had some good feedback this week. So why do you rap? When do you rap? Does it make a difference? Yeah, well, we wrap to get through that stall that we talked about earlier. Also, it protects you from over-smoking or drying out your meat. Um, you know... Do you wrap all the time? Not all. I mean, not all the time. It depends on the cut of meat. Big meats that I know is going to take a long time to cook, I always wrap them. Um, not all. I mean, I say always. Not always, but for briskets and pork butts and all that, I wrap. Some ribs, I like cooking them that Memphis-style where they're just ribs cooked on there, you know... Dry heat the whole time. I've but, seen you cook several briskets and several butts where you just... Just roll them. Just I mean, and I have. I mean, what, the wrap speeds you up. So where a butt, say, is going to take 12 hours to cook unwrapped, you can cook it in eight hours wrapped. That's how much. That's how it breaks the stall. It traps everything in there, and it helps that moisture content, the heat get up so hot, concentrated in there, that it just pushes right through it. And so they call it the Texas Crutch. I know you've heard, heard that phrase before, the Texas Crutch. Well, that crutch... Is simply just helping you get through that stall period to speed up your cook. That's all it's meant by. And I, I like wrapping in butcher paper too. But um, that, really that, like that peach paper. paper to me gives brisket an awesome flavor and it really saves your bark. So when you wrap stuff, um, you you sacrifice some of that good bark that you've worked so hard to, to put your seasons on and build. Because all that moisture is trapped in that foil and that heat in there, and it's turning it real soft. And you can get it back on the back end by, you know, putting a little more seasoning on, drying it out once it comes out of the wrap. But um, a lot of times, I like that hard bark, so I don't wrap. That's the times I don't. Yeah. So I want, the, I really want that old school. I call it old school bark. And you've got the time. Yeah, and I've got the time. If I, I mean, you know, in contest, it's a time crunch, and we want the meat as moist as possible, and wrapping helps speed through that and keep it moist. We don't, you know, we just. And you've got the time at contest to add the bark on the back end. At the back end, end, yeah. So that's, that's when you wrap and while we wrap. I mean, full is your friend. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I probably need stock and Reynolds because we <laughs> eat so much of it, but. What about ribs? Well, I guess you kind of answered that too. Yeah. I mean, I wrap, most of the time we're wrapping ribs. If I'm cooking them at home to eat, heck no, I want to have a good dry outside, a good barky rib. And y'all know uh, the uh, salt and pepper ribs are probably my personal favorite. Yeah. If I'm going to sit down and eat ribs, that's how I'm cooking them. Vinegar on the side. Cooking butts and brisket, fat up, fat down. Fat depends side. on the cooker. It depends. See, that's what a lot of people get caught up on when to, when to cook fat up or fat down. It depends on where the heat is coming from in your cooker because that fat is kind of a shield. So um, in a drum, for instance, you want fat down. Everything fat down because your fire is below. The heat's coming from directly above it. Like um, some of my pits where the... Um, the fire, the heat is coming up the top and drawing down. It's kind of a, um, a cabinet style, uh, re, you know, reverse flow, really heat. The heat's coming to the top. So we'll cook fat up sometimes. Um, on your stick burners, a lot of times the heat comes out of that firebox into the cook chamber and it starts bouncing. It's going up and down, up and down, up and down. Well, a lot of, the, a lot of times that heat's coming from on top. So you see guys cooking fat up. It just depends on where the heat's coming from. So it's protection. It's protection. It's a shield. It's you know, it's kind of a shield. I mean, now sometimes I like cooking butts fat up just because I like them to get that fat to get crispy, and I cut little scores in it to where it's little morsels of deliciousness. <laughs> so these are some questions, kind of yeah, similar to the wrap. It's not necessarily is it right or wrong. It's more of a question of when um, inject or not, and why. At home, I never inject. At contests, we inject because we're trying to get the maximum flavor and moisture in the meat. I think, you know, I wouldn't recommend anybody injecting at home. Why? Why do you want to put that extra stuff, stuff in there? Even stuff like a hog? Well, hog's different because, I mean, if I'm cooking, well, if I'm cooking a hog just to serve a bunch of people, I'm probably not going to inject it because I'm chopping the whole thing up and we're mixing all those parts together. If I'm wanting to showcase, oh, this is the shoulder, and it tastes this way. I'm going to inject and put some flavors in the shoulder. And this is the loin. I want it to taste like this. I'm going to put some different injection down the loin. Same goes for the ham. So there's a place for it. And if you you know if you really want to inject injecting to put flavor in, that's when you want to do it. So if you've got something, say turkeys for instance at Thanksgiving, I inject those. 
because I want all that flavor in my smoked turkey. I want it to taste special. Um, you know, that's it's kind of a personal thing, and yeah. I don't use all the phosphates and different chemicals. <laughs> I guess the chemicals. In, I don't in know contests, you do. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, because I'm trying to get the absolute best. I want that one bite barbecue. I need all that in there. But at home, I'm, it's when you're cooking at home, you're usually cooking to feed people, and you know, you want them. You want them eating good barbecue that tastes like meat. You know, really pick up the essence of the protein, whatever it is you're cooking. What about marinade? Marinade or not, and why? Uh, some depends on what it is. I mean, it's, once again, uh, typically if I'm cooking a steak, I'm not marinating. But if I'm cooking um, like an Asian flavor or, or you know, some of my Caribbean stuff that I cook, I always I always marinate it. So it, it kind of goes to the dish of what you're doing. Uh, marinades are great. They're kind of quick ways to get flavor on the outside. I mean, people say that as long as you leave it in there, studies shown that it doesn't penetrate that much. If you're worried about getting flavor down in the meat, you need to inject it. But marinades are great for thinner cuts of meat and getting it on the outside. Now, brining is different than marinating, and that's where it's at. Brining is a process where you're you're trying to uh, soak meat for a long time in a solution, typically salt and sugar solution of some type, and it's and it's slowly over time the meat's absorbing. It's it's has an osmosis process going where you've got concentrations of salt and sweet moving from high to low across, you know, through the proteins of the meat. And so brine really works well for, you know, for cuts like pork and for chicken um, and poultry. I mean, anything like that, a brine's where it's at. That's where you're really going to get your best flavors, but it takes time. Have you ever brined a pork butt? Yeah, I have. And about a 24-hour pork brine pork butt is good. <laughs> pork brine pork butt, say that fast. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really good. And, I mean, pork chops and loins do probably the best. I brine ribs, I mean, uh, pork butts. But it takes so long because they're so big and they're dense. So it takes long. It's just like, you know, say a 24-hour turkey brine. It takes a while. It's a big bird. Same goes for a butt. It takes it a long time. Um, to get the best even flavor through it, brine's the way to go. You can overcome it by injecting if you just want to get some flavor in it. But, or if you're in a hurry. And I'll use a simple, you know, I'll use a simple brine. If I'm doing chops or something like that, just, you know, brown sugar, salt, and water. It don't have to be anything fancy. I mean, you can put whatever you want in it. But just a simple, the, the salt the salt and sugar solutions is giving you the flavor that you want the meat to have. And water pans. When do you use water pans? Do you use water pans? Uh, so, you know, so a couple of my, my backwoods has a water pan. And um, I'll use them sometimes. Most of the time, I'm using dry heat. If I'm cooking on backwoods, I'm using it. And with the water pan, it's not so much about the moisture for me as it is. It's kind of a heat sink to help you regulate the temperatures. They're great for that. You know, those WSMs have them. They, you know, and that's what holds those temps steady. You can fill the, the charcoal basket up, start a slow fire where it kind of snakes around. The minion method that's been called for years. That works great on a water smoker because it, you know, the water is your heat sink. It also keeps a moist environment. So, um, for cooking pork, you can't beat water smoker. It keeps it moist. I mean, you still develop bark, but you never have to worry about drying it out. But for brisket, I don't like it on a water smoker because you never can get the bark to set. It's hard. I mean, you can, but, um, a moist environment is better on pork than it is on beef. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people use, you know, a water pan, a make you know, homemade water pan in a Weber to smoke. Yeah, just to it add creates it. that yeah. heat sink. That's what it does. It just has a heat sink. Adds a little bit of moisture to the cooking in that application. But really but how much moisture is it adding? Not much. Yeah. I mean not much. It's really. more about temp regulation. Yeah. Sorry. It's more about regulating temp. Taking up space and being that heat sink. I mean you gotta think water's gonna boil at two twelve. So when it's in there it's holding steady at that temp and really simmering you know mm -hmm. and that's the closer you are to that the closer you are to 212 which is low and slow what people want i know if you've ever smelled a dry backwoods you'll never forget you'll it you'll never yeah. forget it you can tell when somebody's messed up they done dried it out and it jumps up the temp will jump up to what, 500 degrees if you let it keep going oh yeah but and you got to think you've got, you've got meat above it and it's dripping down so you've cooked all the water out and what's left that grease once it gets to that smoke point, it's going to smoke, and that's what you're smelling. And once it gets hotter than that, it's going to fire. And I've seen them burn up. It's not a fun sight. Yeah. It's, it's dangerous. That's where your grease fires happen. And you got to remember that on your pits that have like a drip tray or anything that's going to collect grease in there. And if it gets close to the fire, you forget to empty, and it goes back on the fire. That's going up. Yeah. And it can happen on stick burners. I've seen, I mean, I've seen it happen on those. I've seen it happen on the gravity feds. I've, 
What's your best bet in that situation? Shut it all down? Shut it down. Yeah, shut it down, kill the air, and let it burn itself out. Or I mean, I've seen them stick a water hose in the top vent, but never open the door. Once you open the door, it's an inferno. You just added air to it. So all of a sudden, it's really going then. And that's when you'll burn a tent down. You can burn everything. You burn your trailer down. I've seen it happen just last year at Memphis in May. The guys beside us, man, it was a scary situation. They didn't know what to do. Luckily, Mark and Jamie from Swine Life was with us, and they got over there and found they couldn't even get close to the smoker. It was so hot. It melted the door on the backwoods. It was all they could do to grab a hoe and get it closed off because these guys were had the door open trying to throw stuff on it. Mm-hmm. It was just feeding it. It's Ooh. dangerous. Yeah. You know, I brought up smoking on a Weber. Um, when you have a small grill like that and you're doing a long cook, what's the best way to add more coals and keep your fire going? Well... The easiest way is just get you some hot gloves, set your food off to the side, put you some coals on it, and put it back on and cook. Do you put fresh coals or hot coals? Um, I usually keep a, 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 you know, if you've got a hot bed of coals already going, I don't add going lit coals to it. I like for them to do that minion method to where they use them as they need them, and you're going to get longer burn times that way. Um, in our pits, you know, like say our backwoods or our old, old hickory, for instance, we have a little fire tool. Um, over the course of the cook, we can rake the hot coals back to where the ashes fall down, and you can add unlit coals right in front of it. You constantly have that snake method going, and that's what that's what um, gives you good even and long burns over time. Now on the WSM, I know those have a little door where you can add more coals to it, but don't be scared to to set that meat off to, to get access to it. I mean, it's harder when you got a water pan there; you're not gonna be able to do it, but you got that access door. But if you've got a pit to where you can get to the fire, just a couple handfuls here and there you get that's where it comes learning that pit comes key because you got to learn how to manage that fire how long a burn times you're going to get and you know what the airflow needs to be to hold it right and to keep it from spiking but just, now they have those uh grates that have the flip you know you can flip half the grate up and not have to actually move yeah, it to move it and that weber makes a great yeah. like that or it's an aftermarket grate i know it's a hinged so you know that's a that's a great tip if you're cooking say you got a kettle set up for Smoking, you can have that, you know, hinge access to get to your coals. It's okay to add unlit coals to a fire. It's, I mean, if if the fire is hot already, it's going to make those, it's going to use those coals, and they're not going to produce bad smoke um, as they as they need them. Well, you know, we're kind of getting to the end of our podcast, but I still got a lot of questions. We might have to break this into like a part one, part two type situation. Yeah, well, we'll definitely answer some more as we go. Maybe it'll just be a segment where we'll take a couple yeah. questions on every podcast. This has been great. It's I been, thought. You know, and this is answering questions is what I do all the time. <laughs> and so it kind of, I mean, that's, it's easier to answer a question than come up with, you know, something to think yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But, well, before, if, if that's all we're going to do, questions and answer, just, I mean, a little bit. Last week we had a contest. Um, we were cooking at South Haven Spring Fest. The highlight of that one was Michael got to cook and the kids cook. That it was, was his our, first official yeah, kids cook. It was good. The weather was great for once. The mud dried up, so it wasn't so bad. Um, we lucked up. We got a first place rib in KCBS, which we were proud of that. Uh, finished ninth overall, I think That's we right. were. Um, um, we also got a fourth place NBN rib. That's what we were shooting for. We didn't want to make finals. We didn't bring anything to do finals with. So I told Wade that we were going to finish fourth, and we did. So that makes three NBN contests in a row where we've hit a fourth rib. So we're thinking about uh, doing some more of these NBN Taking ribs. Taking them a little series. Get up Taking them a little, final. Uh, you, you might... Wayland wants to get a rib trailer just for ribs. <laughs> but no, we're going to do some of the ones that have SCA events. So we love where you can go and, and do two styles of con, you know contests in a weekend. And um, that man, Wayland's had that NBN rib popping. And, yeah. I mean, it has, uh, it's been a long time since we've cooked baby back ribs at a contest. I mean, years. We've been doing KCBS so long. It's it's sometimes a little bit of change that is fun. So that really might be Wayland's uh, you know. And we, we, were, we were kind of rib renegades there for a while. That's all we did. We cut our teeth cooking MBN rib contest. No trailer. We just loaded everything back in the truck and went all over the country. Well, I say country, all over the south, cooking in rib contests. And we did pretty good. So um, I'm excited to get back out there and cook some of those. But uh, so coming up, Memphis coming up, in May. This weekend, no contest. This weekend, we're off. We're not doing anything barbecue. Well, we're getting ready for Memphis in May. It's crawfish weekend, Shell. Yeah. 
We got about, I don't know, I think Mark ordered almost 200 pounds of crawfish. We're going to boil those. I've got a bag chair and a cooler of beer. It's going to be on Saturday. <laughs> um, I mean, I wish all y'all could be to the crawfish. Uh, it's Cinco de Bayo and Mark Williams. <laughs> if y'all didn't know Mark Williams, show up at his house Saturday at 5 o'clock, and I'm sure he wouldn't care. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's coming up. Then we got load in for Memphis in May. We got Vegas next week. We're going to Vegas, and we don't. I don't know if we'll get a podcast in. We're we, going to get a podcast. We might do it Friday morning. And, yeah, when we get back from Vegas. Yeah. We'll tell you all all about going to the hardware show. Hopefully have some insight to share there. Um, Hopefully seeing a lot of cool things. Recipe. Cool for next week's recipe, we're going to go ahead and do... Um, we got one on deck, and I'm doing some venison. I've been getting a lot of questions about doing wild game, and so I've got uh, some backstraps that I harvested last year. I've got them thawed out and uh, did some stuffed with like bacon, cream cheese, parsley, mushrooms, that stuff wrapped in a little bacon and going to put them on the, the smoker and get them cooked up just right. So, that'll so be you're going to smoke them? Uh, that'll be some smoke on them. I'm going to cook them at a little higher temp to get that bacon right. But yeah. um, that, hopefully that, glaze, that no video, glaze. I don't know if I'm going to glaze okay. them or not. I just kind of like that bacon flavor and mm-hmm. I wanted to have that. Well, if you're stuffing them, they're going to have a lot of flavor Yeah, that's going to be on the inside. I mean, it's, you know, it's deer meat. Can't go wrong with it. But that's going to be next week's video, and I hope it turns out. If it doesn't, you know it wouldn't be good. <laughs> you won't see anything. It wouldn't be good, yeah. And the next week we've got Memphis MA, and I'm going to try as hard as I can to put together a little video about Memphis MA, kind of the experience and what it's like and, and stuff like that. We, that's my goal. I plan to do some Instagram live stuff. And some Facebook live videos at Memphis in May. Yeah. So everybody out there can kind of get a glimpse of what we're doing. Um, so it's follow really us. Follow us. It's How to Barbecue Right at How to Barbecue Right and How to Barbecue Right on Facebook. Everywhere is How to Barbecue Right. Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. Facebook, how to, or how to Barbecue Right. But y'all follow us next week, especially if you're interested in seeing what's going on at Memphis in May. We'll try to, you know, we'll try to check in uh, at least daily, hopefully multiple times. Maybe I'll. I have some people that want to jump on there and do something with me real quick. Just I don't care if it's just standing out there on the river talking. You can't beat being in Memphis and May on the river. Especially if the weather's nice oh, it's and the breeze wonderful. is rolling up. We're going to win some shoulders yeah. this year. Um, We're going to have fun. Hey, hopefully we'll be on stage and doing something live from walking up on stage at the awards. Who knows? If you have any questions or um, anything that we could add to our next segment for our Q&A, Send it to us um, on Facebook would be the best way, but we'll take it anyway. We can get it. Yeah. Um, if you want to connect with me, it's Miss Southern Shell on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to get in touch with Malcolm, it's How to Barbecue Right, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's that easy. Yeah. Hey, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening.